Hi, everybody, and welcome to a, another episode of Rail Talk with me, Michelle Craven Faulkner. I am the Rail Lead at Shoesmiths, and I am delighted to be joined today by a very, I would say old, but I don't think I will say old, a, a long standing friend of mine, Andy Slater, who's got the fabulous title of Global Managing Director of TXM Consult. Andy, nice to see you. Nice to see you again. Are you going to tell us a little bit about yourself? I can do. I can do. Well, we've known each other for too many years. Um, 25 years in rail, mm-hmm. 1998, Longsite Depot, Virgin Trains, um, yeah, very much into the maintenance contracts, tupid over to Alstom, mm-hmm. we part of the West Coast main deal, um, five years, <clears throat> getting the depots ready for Pendolinos, really uh, interesting period of time that was. I'm um, glad people can't see the facial expressions yeah, that we're yeah, doing yeah. here. No, no, it's, it was a character building, I think many people said it was, character building. Then decided I didn't want to just know one side of the industry, uh-huh. so I went into the operators, went work to Southeastern, London Midland, then thought, we all go into these supply chains and uh, heavy maintenance places, need to experience that, what's it like in the supply chain? Went working for a small company, Railcare, mm-hmm. privately owned, taken yeah. out of Alstom. Interesting um, life without lots of cash behind you certainly throws different challenges in. Yeah. And went from one extreme to the other because then I went into the grandeur of Eurostar. And I was the engineering director at Eurostar for six years. So oh, was I it did. that long? I didn't realize it, it was, was that long. long. It was that long. Yeah. Kind of felt longer sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I actually flew by in many ways as well. Um, yeah, did that for six years. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, great experience culturally. Um, German manufacturer of trains, you know, French shareholders, Belgium shareholders, new route to Amsterdam. It had lots of variety to it. And then got an opportunity to go and work for Amy, yes, which is a bit different, more infrastructure-based, but it also included tube lines, and then we did the work with Keolis for Docklands Light Railway, Manchester Metrolink. Then we bid Wales and Borders. And after all that fun, um, Ferrovial, who owned Amy, were divesting their services businesses. Changed strategy. Uh, felt it wasn't going to be the right place for me. So actually at that point, end of 2019, decided it'd be quite fun to do something myself. And uh, two months before the pandemic, set up the business. <laughs> Which just shows you how good I am at timing. Um, so, yeah, that was a quite a fraughtful period. But to be fair, um, yeah, life has proved okay the last three years, trying to grow a business, um, not just in the UK, as we'll touch on. Um, brought its challenges, brought its excitements. And, yes, three years later, this is where we are. Do you know, it's so strange how many people... I've spoken to as part of these podcasts, actually, who who joined kind of either just before the pandemic or during the pandemic. I mean, I joined Shoesmiths during the pandemic. You know, it's we all just thought it must have been a really good idea to make a major life change in the middle of a pandemic. Well, I think, I think it just threw up so many different scenarios for people, didn't it? Everybody was trying to adjust to different ways of living and then uh, strange thoughts creep into your head. They do. I mean, as I said at a time, I never, ever thought I'd start a new job wearing slippers, but that's exactly what I did. There you go. Never <laughs> say never. Never say never. Okay. So th- the breadth of things that you've done is, is really quite vast, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of pretty much a, a nice rail portfolio piece, yes. really, isn't it? Is there any part of the railway that you haven't worked on? 
Because you've done underground, you've done high speed, you've done international, you've done... Light rail. You've done light rail, you've done infrastructure. Signaling. Signaling. Which is freight. interesting. Never done freight. Oh, there you go. Um, I think, yeah, to be fair, high speed, main line, light rail, metros. Um, in the Amy, we also touched on the sort of mobility as a service side. Got involved in uh, the rail sector deal when we were part of Amy, um, which of course, was really interesting yeah. uh, sort of discussions that were going on then. Um, so, yeah, really, I guess, yeah, freight is probably the one area. Now you've got me thinking, how do I how do I get into uh, working in freight? Um, <laughs> I'm sure there's people listening to this that could uh, could offer some suggestions. Hopefully there will be. But, but so then, so you are now TXM Consult. So... TXM Consult covers a wide range of sectors, as does the TXM Group, doesn't it? So, where does rail fit into the uh, to the jigsaw puzzle here? To be fair, rail is the heart of our business mm-hmm. because that's what as it I'm should be in every to. business. Yeah, that's what I'm used to. That's what I think I know most about. Uh, some people are probably challenged on that, um, but no, rail is at the heart of what we do at TXM Consult. Um, it's where we've um, a lot of us have kind of grown up and got our experiences and scars um so all the way through what we do in terms of the service offers that we have have been generated from the railways the different elements of the railway in terms of the challenges um taking my own experiences across all of those roles and those businesses looking at what do i believe uh businesses in the rail sector need support in and what you find is a lot of it is around transformation, change. That doesn't mean it's just people. It could be technologies, systems, <laughs> processes. But ultimately, the railway is always trying to move forward, drive itself forward. And therefore, that means that things are going to change. Yeah. And around that, there's skill sets that you know don't fit well permanently into organizations that actually if you tap into that expertise externally, um, it gives the opportunities for businesses like ourselves mm-hmm. to, to support. So rail, I would say, is 80% of our of our sort of business mm-hmm. model. Um, across the different countries, we have different um, biases towards where the markets are using our yeah. capabilities. But yeah, 80% is rail. Um, but some interesting work in automotive and energy and defense where there is transferable skills. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what we use in rail, I know people can be critical of the rail industry, <laughs> um, but they are quite sought after uh, and applied in the right way, can can cross over into different sectors. Well, and there's always been that transference, hasn't there, between particular aviation, automotive and, and rail, not just because of what the end product is, but also in terms of things like co- life cycle costing and, and you know maintenance scheduling and all of those kind of things. So So you can see how that kind of all overlaps nicely. Now, you've already touched on this already. Obviously, you do a lot of that stuff here in the UK, but one of the things that we're going to talk about today is the work that you're doing outside of the UK because I think that there's especially if you look on the rolling stock side of things for the, for the UK, you know, the the order book is looking a little light moving forward. Um and so that there is this kind of right, what can we do to look outside of the UK but I know that for many businesses especially kind of SMEs that's quite a daunting prospect so I thought you you could perhaps be that perfect case study as somebody that's done it and got it right 
Look, the UK is a challenging market. <laughs> um, for me, when we were developing the business, we were looking at how we could continue to gain momentum from the early work that we'd got, but also recognizing that there was a, definitely a slowing down in, in the UK market um, for various reasons. A lot of people have got their own views as, as to why. But I took the decision really towards the end of um, 21 that we should be looking at Australia. Uh -huh. We were quite fortunate uh, as TXM Consult because the actual group already had offices out in Australia for the recruitment side of the business. So we partially had infrastructure in place um, to be able to tap into, but we didn't have any uh, management team or leadership team from a consultancy perspective to, to be in country can be quite difficult trying to recruit people in a pandemic on the other side of the world um <laughs> but this is where having spent, in a different time zone as in well a different time zone um but i think this is where to be to be honest um having 20 plus years in the industry and a network that kind of spans that period of time and people do move around um and it's fair to say there's a lot of expats in in australia um in reasonably uh sort of influential um, organizations and roles and we were again able to connect into some old colleagues um, who were already established out there looking to have a new challenge so in some ways it fell well for us um, wow. and in other ways it still takes an awful lot of work to, to bring it to reality but yes we found an individual who was willing to help us start the business up in Australia um, we had a, a bit of a unique situation where it is a business startup, but you've got quite a decent piece of machinery behind you. Cost. So it could be very different for other people. Um, so we understood quite well what was required in terms of the types of contracts, the insurances. Um, we already had quite a lot of marketing behind us from what we've done in the UK, easily transferable because of the language and culture. Sure. Um, so for me, Australia was was a good choice for a number of reasons. There's there's no real barriers around language and culture. Uh -huh. There was heavy investment. Yeah. Not only in one state, you know, in New South Wales, you've got Sydney Metro, which is a, a heavy investment uh, in there. In Melbourne, you've got the Melbourne Tunneling Project. You did have Melbourne Airport Rail Link, but that's kind of now being put on the back burner with the, with the new reviews. And in Brisbane, uh, in Queensland, you've got a uh, crossover rail. Yeah. So there was a number of large projects that we felt that we could access through our capabilities. But but as you say, you know, you, you had the office there and you had the infrastructure, but the contacts were your own. Is that right? So it wasn't that you were necessarily building on, you know, oh, well, there you go. We've got links into all these businesses are here already. It, it, no, it, to it that extent, scratch. it was it still like literally from recruit one person. Yep. And from that one person, then um, invest time, money, and effort in that person, bringing in a small team. You know, let's face it, year one uh, was not a profitable year, um, but it was seen as an investment year. And we took that decision, and I was fully behind that. We spent a good 12, 14 months pulling that business around and making it sort of self-sustainable. Um, now everything looks really, you know, it looks great. Um, um, there's a team of 25 people out there now. Um, 
And are they people that have transferred from the UK or are they local recruits or a combination? Uh, there is one person that we transitioned over from the UK uh, to, to Brisbane, um, Tim, and that was a conscious decision in terms of his competences and skills and the market demands in, in Brisbane. Um, everybody else has been a local recruit. And again, it to me, it, it really shows the benefit of the networks that people have and uh, their relationships, their client bases that they've connected into previously, bring the right people on. They know how to uh, gain access to frameworks. They know how to bid for those frameworks. Frameworks are hugely important in, in any state. Yeah, um, of course. And, and that's how we built it. And that's why I, I don't think anyone that wants to do it can, can think of it as an instant success. Mm. It gets scary because the numbers can get quite big. <laughs> um, but you have to stay true to what you believe, I think. And, and we had some difficult moments. Um, but we we pushed our way through those. And thankfully, I'd like to say, I think we've turned the corner. Mm -hmm. um, team's doing really well. And it has the, the market conditions to continue for quite a number of years, just because of these big schemes. Yeah. So looking at Australia then, you've, you've said that obviously the culture and the language were some positive wins and the fact that there was already that kind of network there, 3D expats, and the fact that the railway family is wide and broad and, and we're everywhere. Uh, what were the key challenges in Australia, would you say, apart from the pandemic, of course? Yeah. <laughs> well, if we try and put that to one side, time zone is an obvious one. Yeah. Um, but in, in, in honesty, it, it's... And the biggest challenge is, is really trying to uh, remain confident in your decision-making when the time uh, seems to be evaporating away from you in terms of the investments that you're putting in and how long it can convert uh, in terms of the opportunities. So really um, finding it difficult doing that completely remotely. Mm -hmm feeling that you're connecting well with the team and actually getting the right dynamics in place. Obviously, since all the restrictions have, have, have lifted, that's become a lot easier. Yeah. So COVID was a huge uh, part of it. If we had not selected the right people as the early recruits, I think we would have struggled more in terms of understanding how to navigate the client base, mm -hmm. like routes to market, the accessibility of certain opportunities. But because we were recruiting experienced consultants, they had the knowledge, they understood the best uh, way to navigate that. That, in a certain way, expedited our routes to, to the opportunities. Um, so, yeah, the biggest challenge is finding the right people. Okay, that's Willing interesting. Willing to join a small business and step away from maybe a, a, a less thoughtful life during the middle of a pandemic. So, you did Australia. Yeah. What was next? What was the next country? Canada? Canada. Okay. That's a very, that's an interesting one as well, isn't it? Because again, you've got commonality of language, commonality of culture, depending of course where you are, unless you're Correct. in French speaking part of, part of Canada. Okay. Carefully selected. <laughs> and, and actually, you know, what, one of the things is that you have got a commonality in, in terms of common law approaches as well, kind of being part of the Commonwealth. Was it a similar situation in Canada then? Uh, Slightly different, slightly different. 
in that a couple of the people were recruited in the UK to lead some of our uh, capabilities. I'd actually, in their previous uh, businesses, ran teams in Canada as part of their global role that they were doing. Um, So we had quite a bit of knowledge brought into the business around what the the projects were, where the key uh, conditions were for, for growth. So we started to use that to build the business case, to build the business plan. We started to reach out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, we took a different view. So in Australia, we chose not to uh, look to work with some of the bigger firms. Okay. Whereas in Canada, we did completely the opposite, where we chose that actually our entry strategy would be to look for some of the tier one okay. organizations to work with. Um, and therefore, we could not uh, commit in-country resources straight away because we were still spending loads of money in Australia, <laughs> building a business in Australia. So we were limited on our cash capabilities. Okay. Um, but we, again, through networks, found those opportunities, started to build some really good relationships with one or two of the tier ones, generated early work, and then that gave us the, the appetite. So we targeted Toronto and the Ontario region first. Yeah mainly again because of the concentration of large projects that was already undergo. And is that on passenger? That was passenger. Um, we were fortunate enough during the pandemic to work for one of the operators, so for Keolis, on their bid for Go Expansion. Okay. We did it purely remotely, which was a challenge, being part of a bid team, never seeing each other physically. Um, but that gave us good links and good relationships it gave us some experience yeah. that we could then illustrate uh, to other potential clients and that's how we got in with the tier ones is, is using that experience okay. we looked to position someone locally um we got frustrated uh by not being able to convert some of the big frameworks um so we had to reconsider so we actually stepped back for about three months to to refocus and and rethink and again networks present opportunities and an old colleague of of one of our uh, employees reached out based in vancouver so the opposite side on the western side um and actually they joined beginning of june okay and this year so we started canada this year so Basically, 2022 was the launch year for Australia. 23 has been the growth year for Australia. 23 is the launch year for Canada. And sure, we'll touch on the Middle East shortly. Um, so, yeah, it it, uh, it took a different form from what we originally set out. But we're now um, got in-country resource in Vancouver. Uh-huh. We've got work on Calgary Green Line, Broadway Subway. We're working on the Hugh Ontario line in in Toronto. So again, this mix of metro, light rail, there's big investments in those transport systems. Yeah. Um, If you ever visit Toronto, you'll realize why, because you ever drive (laughs) and try and get into the center of Toronto, you suddenly realize that you can't go much further than six lanes on either side, so you're going to have to build a transport system to move these people. Um, and that was actually a conversation we had in the taxi. It's like, good grief, what is this? And my colleague went, that's why we're here. Like, yeah. we, they need to build transport <laughs> yeah. systems. Um, and, and that is a reality. They're, they are, in some ways, uh, behind the UK in terms of its yeah. infrastructure. 
in terms of multimodal, but uh, certainly making steps to put that right with the amount of investment. But I think that there is some sort of commonality there between Canada and Australia, isn't it? They've, they've been quite heavily dominated by freight yeah. on the rail side of things. And then there has now been this kind of boom that actually, yeah, we do need more passenger railway and we do need that multimodal. We do need that. How do we get people around our cities? I mean, you never know. Maybe the States will be, be next because passenger isn't quite high on, on their agenda at the moment either. And actually, we took the decision to go to Canada rather than the States because... Um, we didn't really fancy taking the challenge of 52 countries in one because um, that's kind of how it feels Absolutely. in the States. Absolutely. So, yes, Toronto and, and Vancouver are very different. Yeah. You know, uh, sort of policies can differ slightly and, and you have to have your own uh, accreditations for each state. But, again, be selective about what you're trying to provide and you can stay focused and, and actually navigate it pretty reasonably. It's surprising actually how many people that I've worked with over the years that have kind of thought, well, surely it's, surely America's got to be the next stage, you know, because we've got the same language and it's like, no, it, it is it's so, di- it's so difficult. Big. Well, yeah, absolutely, it's so big. But as you say, it really is like dealing with different countries. I can remember way back when on the West Coast mainline, me having to fly to California because our old employer did not have a lawyer in California. They had them elsewhere in America, but they wouldn't touch anything in California because they weren't qualified. So in which case, I just said, put me on a plane, I'll go and sort it out and sorted it out. So, so it, it is, is very difficult. Much like that. Yeah, yeah, it is difficult. As a small business, um, and yes, okay, we've we've got advantage of being part of a slightly bigger group, but we have to stand on our own two feet. Mm. You've got to be very careful about what you're able to invest in and how long you're willing to have that investment period for. Um, yeah. Cash can soon drift away. And, yeah. You know, might have all the best ideas in the world, but unless you're generating cash, you're not going to survive very long. And I think that's what really interesting what you just said about the fact that you, you took that break, you took that step back. Yeah, and, and then yeah. actually the opportunity presented on completely the different side of the country to the one you'd been focusing on. Yeah, and I think sometimes you just have to accept that actually you can't just keep carrying on without a clear clear path in front of you. Because like I say, you can plough a lot of time and effort, energy and, and cash into it. But actually, unless that there's that accessibility to the market, no matter how good you think you are, if you can't go and demonstrate it, you're you're soon going to be in trouble. And and yeah, we had to reassess a couple of times. Um, like I say, in Australia, it, it was slightly different. Um, but Canada, yes, definitely a pause, reconsideration, revamping of the business plan and business case for it, uh, taking a different profile around what growth we could expect. Um, I think we benefited from it because. It, uh, because it wasn't so straightforward. It has really challenged us on to being more specific yeah. about what we want to be in, in each country um, because we do, as we said, sort of deliver more engineering, I would say, focused services in the UK. Mm-hmm. In Australia, it's more advisory and complex program management. Okay. And in Canada, it's more about systems integration and systems engineering. Well, that's interesting. But because we do all all of them, um, yeah. we have the flexibility of moving people around. Yeah. Um, and of course, one thing COVID did was create um, a more acceptance of remote working. Mm, definitely. Which I think people 
need to really have yeah. as part of their strategy. It it uh, it can play well. You, yes, you need some localization, but I think if you've got the right client supportive of what you're trying to do, then the remote working element of it is less of a concern these days. Especially when, as you say, you've got that commonality of culture and that commonality of language. So let's now move on to the next group of countries yeah, that you're looking different. at. They're different. They're different. You seem to have gone slightly Fancy off. Challenge. Seem to have gone slightly off piste on this one. Yeah, so yeah. you're you're now looking at the Middle East, which is a huge area of growth. I mean, absolutely mind-boggling. You know, when you think about you know, how long we've all been talking about, say, HS2 or, you know, I always say about the first two tenders that I worked on were Crossrail 2000 and Thameslink 1999. I mean, that gives you an idea. Whereas, you know, you look at places like the Middle East and it's like, yeah, we're just going to build five HS2s and we'll have it done within the next yeah, year. 20 airports. Yeah. And, oh. Slightly different landscape, slightly different funding model, obviously. But but where did that come from? Where did the Middle East come from? Because it does seem to be a very different outlook to what you've been doing with the others. It is. Um, two main avenues, really. One is old colleagues who ended up out there. Network again. Network, who uh, are either still there mm-hmm. or wanted to get out of where they were, fancied a change of role, but could bring real knowledge mm-hmm. uh, of the market and the challenges in that market. Obviously, there's huge amounts of money being spent in the region. Um, you've then got to boil that down to what is going to be accessible to you um, as a small business. Um, yeah. But then the second avenue was really uh, customers that we have either in the UK or Australia or Canada or two out of the three or even three out of the three. They're global businesses, obviously. Okay. And they have some presence in the region as well. Mm-hmm. So there's pre-existing relationships at a client level. There's a lot of case study materials that we can provide to people to give them the confidence of what we're able to do. Um, and it's with known entities as well. It's with it's, known entities, yeah. and it's easy to connect people to say, "Well, if you want to, you want a, a reference of what we can do, yeah, go and speak to this person in the UK." So we mapped all of that, um, and we've gone small. Okay, so we're we're not trying to go like into neom and do this and do that. Um, in actual fact, our strategy is sort of the opposite, where the bigger companies probably do navigate to these giga projects. They'll leave spaces behind them, yeah. and those spaces are still important and still require a lot of uh, high caliber capability to to fulfil them. And that's where we're looking to to target. Like I say, using our existing sort of global clients as well as market understanding and experience of one or two of our people who have operated in the region for quite a number of years. Um, but that's a, a very recent thing. So we're we're three months in really. Um, we've done some work in Qatar and Dubai um, and we're bidding for work in Abu Dhabi, Oman, Qatar, Dubai and Saudi, but we are not trying to always work for the end client. And the reasons for that are confidence in being paid, if I'm honest. Um, also, all the taxation and retention taxes and all that you have to be very careful with. Yeah. Again, we have pretty good knowledge of that. 
We have a recruitment business out there okay. who can do all our visas for us and, and, and stuff like that. So again, having someone within our group who's got six years experience of living out there and understanding how to navigate some of the, the localisms mm-hmm. um, has, has been really informative in the way that we've built the business approach to, to this latest market. I think what's really interesting is that you know, you can go, kind of we joking a little bit before kind of going, oh, Canada and Australia, they're almost the same. And then Middle East, oh my goodness, it's so different. But actually, what you've been doing to focus on them is exactly the, the same kind of model throughout, isn't it? It's those local connections. It's that local network. It is identifying pretty much from the outset who you want your customer to be. Yep. Um, and kind of, if, if not by virtue of it being an individual business, but kind of looking at what level of customer that you want. Yeah, I think the customer, uh, what are their challenges? So I, I pride ourselves on the fact that most of our uh, employees have got the scars of having been in the seats where the trouble happens. Yeah. Um, so ex-operations uh, directors, ex-engineering directors, therefore the knowledge and understanding of what the typical problem statements mm. that are going to be going on in those oh. operations is pretty clear. Therefore, you can then align what your capabilities are to those. And let's face it, using networks, using the knowledge of those people, um, using local knowledge around contract structure is important. Um, But we've done all this organically, um, which I'm quite proud of. Um, We might take a different route on another region that we're looking at where we, we might do that through acquisitional growth rather than organic growth. Well, I was going to growth. ask you about that, actually. Because um, there's only only so much energy you can have for you to <laughs> keep doing startups um, and convincing the board that another business is a, is a great idea. Um, but yeah, we just constantly keep our eyes open for where we think the market conditions are, the investments, mapping regional growth with where the clients are, the activities, the kind of capabilities mm. that are going to be needed. So that triangulation, I always believe in triangulations. Uh, people who know me will laugh about that. Um, but it is for me, it's that it's that marrying up of those different elements. Um, and if you find or feel that the right connections are there, yeah. then that then intensifies our interest in that region. I think, I think as I say, I think it's just really interesting that you know, we we forget that we had a period of time where we lost an awful amount of colleagues to these foreign climbs because, you know, everything we were doing was brilliant. Mm. So why wouldn't everybody want ops directors and engineering directors from really? the UK? Because that that was what was happening. And we had this kind of talent drain, didn't we, that, mm. that went elsewhere. And actually, you know, Australia and the Middle East in particular were one of the, well, two of the big draws, weren't yeah. they? And, and they, I think they remain mm. by that way. This one of the frustrations of the UK is the hesitations that f- people feel now mm. will only encourage more of that. Um, and I think you know most of us will say that we've witnessed it previously. I think it's it's happening again personally. Um, there's a lot of interesting projects abroad, and if you are an ambitious person and you. Yeah like being challenged yeah. you'll find that challenge and i think especially post the pandemic 
people have kind of taken. I mean, you know, you and I only just started this, spoken about the fact that we're both in our current positions, which happened kind of around about the time of the pandemic. I think an awful lot of people spent that time during the pandemic thinking, you know, about the the life, the universe, and everything. And as you say, kind of where their ambitions lie, and you know, the opportunities that are presenting themselves with some really exciting rail projects across the globe at the moment is inevitably going to start to pique people's interest, isn't it? But it is, and I think pandemic probably made people ask questions of themselves and their situations more profoundly than ever before in different ways. And some people might have thought, you know what, life's very short. We haven't really gone out and experienced anything different yet. And therefore their their thought process to that sort of challenge may have changed, you know, to what it was pre-pandemic to what it is post-pandemic now. And yeah. and I do feel that if people open their eyes and ears up to what's happening around the world, there's lots of opportunities for skills that right now it may be a little bit frustrating in the UK in terms of being able to demonstrate that. So I think it's it's important that the UK kind of gets its, gets its plan clear um, because the last thing we want is the removal of competencies permanently from the market. Yep. If people can transition, you know, and, and find opportunities for a period of time now and, and return, that's great. Mm. Uh, concern would be that they become settled in their new environments and don't want to return. Absolutely. And, and I actually, you know, with um, Simon Higgins, one of the earlier episodes of these relatives, we spoke about kind of the, uh, the 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 resourcing issue that we've got. And, you know, in particular, we've got a large number of engineers who are due to retire yeah. soon as well. You've got the requirement that's going to come with H2, HS2 rather when that comes properly online. Um, so we've already got that shortage. We've already got that pinch point coming up. And as you say, I think without having that clear vision as to what the next big UK project's going to be, yeah. Yeah, you can completely see why there's that interest elsewhere. So where do you, where's next for TXM then? Is it for, is it further afield or how do you see work going in the EU post-Brexit? Um, to be fair, we don't really spend a huge amount of time looking at the EU. Um, that not, conscious decision? Um I think it's more observational at the moment. We, you know, again, we've got to be careful where we try and spread mm. our resources and uh, uh, and our capability in terms of investments and what have you. Um, it's a little bit about again having the right people with the right knowledge to mm. be able to navigate those those um, uh, environments. Don't really have that. I mean, yeah, I know quite a lot of people at SNCF from when I was at Eurostar, and I, I keep in contact with those. And you know, we're we're helping a French company actually on a UK market entry strategy. So we're dipping our toe, mm. but we're, I think, you know, we're more looking at rather than sort of Central Europe, we're looking more Scandinavia, um, mainly because of the the again the level of activity in franchise work there. Yeah. But also their appetite for uh, embracing new digital technologies. And that's Quite interesting. Progressive thinkers, um, whether that's in Denmark, Sweden, Norway. No. Um, again, um, a consideration there will be culture, language, which is why we would probably, uh, and we have been doing, um, working with local partners 
building those relationships again through old networks so people who used to work together set up their own business now yeah they um one one entity actually started about three months after we did and we've just always been trying to help and support each other um so we're three years into knowing each other now um and yeah we've got some really strong relationships and there's potential that 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 flourishes into something bigger uh, in the future it's something we're talking about but we haven't uh taken that step yet but that would then take us into the scandinavian market um with local capability and language skills backed up by the the broader uh-huh. sort of engineering and systems uh, capabilities that the business has and i suppose with it being closer than some of the other regions it's it's a lot easier to kind of get people out there to, to do the work rather than needing to recruit too much locally and it's interesting because we talked about language and culture and then most of their documents are written in English of course they are uh, especially the engineering documents sometimes in far better English than we would exactly, write exactly yes quite <laughs> quite alarming when someone's putting your own grammar into exactly. it. <laughs> it's a little bit worrying isn't it um, but no and again that that sort of relationship based model works for us we, we find that um culturally good fit therefore we know we can work well together um we've got to be careful as to as to how we grow and and that we don't lose the sense of who we are and what we want to be we we like to be quite relaxed um but we work very hard um so it, it it's just making sure that the people you try and work closely with do match that and that you're not going to create any unnecessary barriers to, to the relationship. So that does does sort of support that model. Um, so yeah, probably Scandinavia regionally. And then in sectors, we're looking at an acquisition that would take us into the defense sector. Okay. Um, again, just because of what we see as transferability is skill sets. Definitely. Investment in the sector defense is not going to be short of investment whether it's in the US Australia UK uh, there's a close alliance now <laughs> so um, we we monitor that and we look at uh, how that might uh, support our business growth ambitions and like I say the amount of transferability in terms of program management project management systems engineering systems assurance you know it, yeah. it, it's it's very similar, the you know, and they're big programs. Um, I've already seen from the automotive side that going into defence on the supply chain management and that that working really yeah. well. This is, this has been so interesting, Andy, because I don't think I'd ever really thought so much about the networking side of it and how important those relationships are. But when you're a small business, you're limited with what yeah other other growth mechanisms are available to you. Um, unless you want to go and get private equity and there's challenges and risks in doing that as well. But um, I think, you know, I had an ambition to have fun, okay? I'd worked in corporate life quite a lot, learned a lot, sometimes what not to do, sometimes what to do. (laughs) You know, in in every way you learn from every leader that you have, uh, whether it's good or bad. Um, And it just felt the right time and, and I brought on an advisor early on, a very old colleague who actually agreed to advise me even though I turned him down for a job three times. 
<laughs> so I like to think that that shows the strength of the relationship. I am, of uh, course, now sitting here trying to work out who that is. You'll have to tell me later. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, you probably won't be too challenging. Um, and, and that's been a great assistance because not only my network, but their network, there were some commonalities. The, the whole strength of the relationship um, and just having that desire to to enjoy yourself, work hard, enjoy yourself and, and you know, have a little bit of fun but um, wanting to show and illustrate what what a small business can be, mm. that has been the driving force with it. So for me, the networks was actually a sort of preferred natural way yeah. of growing the business. But I'm just thinking from from another SME who might be listening to this and kind of thinking, right, how do I investigate new markets? I mean, it's it it's kind of the key messages that I'm taking from what you've said is utilize your networks that they're there to help you um consider how it is you know why do you want to break into this new market you know is is it just because you've put a pin in the map or is it because you know somebody there and you know that there's some projects coming along that you can help with um trying to work out how you are best to be in those markets so you know, you guys have got the the benefit of knowing people in the Middle East and also having wide, the wider TXM group there. Mm. I think for some SMEs, the Middle East might be a bit of a bit of a difficult challenge because of some of the regulatory requirements around it. So it's it's about, and as I I, I think one of the key things that you said is that not being not being scared or embarrassed. I, I'll use the term to kind of get to a point and go, do you know what? I'm going to knock this on the head. It's it's not working for whatever reason so rather than as you say carrying on investing the time and the energy and the money in it giving it a piece of time and being quite strict with yourself yeah any any sme will probably say look at it the same way when it's your own money it makes you focus <laughs> really strongly um and and i i think in the right way because you really test yourself and 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 the logic that you're putting behind the business case um, you know, do you truly believe in this? This isn't, um, you know, artificial numbers, you know, wooden dollars, whatever terminal you want to put on it. This is this is the bloodline of your business, and is it going to be spent the right way? Is this the best way to to support the business? Are you trying to go too quick too soon? Uh, are you being too risk averse? These are all the questions you've got to ask yourself. But I think. Yeah, the, the the network, understanding who's the clients that you're going to go for, mm-hmm. why would they want to use you, how are you going to demonstrate that? I think you've got to, I, I always talk about joining dots, people probably get frustrated with me in my business, like, but it, it literally is, it's like everything's like a network, Yeah. but can you connect it? Can you connect all these separate nodes and make it a network rather than just a series of dots on a page? Yeah. And that for me is what really interests me. And I've got a lot of good people now that work for us. And, you know, recruiting the right people Mm -hmm. with the right mindset has to be the most important thing. Yeah. Has to be. Because without that, you're not really going to get the attractive effort that you need. Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I I think this is going to be... A really insightful listen for SMEs who are thinking about looking to to work in different territories. So thank you ever so much for your time. Thank you very much.